The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Well, I suppose today is the day. And I've circled ideas. The wagons have gone round and round on exactly how we're going to work our way through all of this information. And full disclosure, I don't still truly know how this is all going to get put out in an audio format, which in this particular case is actually probably quite a bit harder than having it in some sort of written, tangible way. However, we're here and we're going to do it. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, everybody. I'm your host, Dan Vesperus, and this, of course, is a hoop ball presentation, hoop-ball.com, the website, hoop-ball.com. You can also follow all of us, myself, HoopBall, and everybody at HoopBall on Twitter. I am at Dan Vesperus, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. HoopBall is at HoopBallFantasy on Twitter. Go get yourself a fantasy pass for last year's price. Apparently, it's hanging on for a couple more days. I didn't know. They sprung it on me. But that's good news because the price is going up here and it's likely within the next day or two now. I don't crap. I It won't be much longer, though, because it was supposed to happen last week and we had a bug in the system. Wager pass also on the way up. Hoopball 360 also on the way up. Go get those things immediately at hoop-ball.com. Click on the premium tab. As I mentioned at the end of yesterday's podcast, also with many of you kind of coming back into the fold here as the regular season now under two months from us, your fantasy drafts probably about six or seven weeks away. If you want to start a podcast, if you hadn't heard me do this promo before, let me know. We're looking to expand HoopBall's podcast offerings, both on sports and non-sports items. So if you have the desire to build a show with experts, your friends, whatever it might be, let me know. We can uh, talk it through, find out if it's something that might be a good fit, and uh, you can come and, and grow with us on this pod division, which is very cool. I'm I'm privileged to be running Hoopball's podcast division, uh, so you'd get to work with me, for better or worse, I guess, on that front. Let's dive into this thing. Uh, you guys have known I've been teasing it for a little while now. We are officially into the Vespers Buckets portion of the proceedings And as I mentioned about two minutes ago at the start of this podcast, I don't really know how we're going to run this thing. I made what I think is a relatively reasonable list for uh, this coming season. Thought I had misplaced it for a second there, but I've got it back. This is imperfect in a number of ways. In that... We still don't fully know how public perception is going to play out on a lot of these guys. And that's going to be strongly, heavily influenced by the big box sites pre-ranks. Most notably Yahoo. I think they're the biggest one now. Certainly they are the... They're like the Mario for picking it. If you're choosing a character here, it's the most well-rounded. Yeah, every, every site has their problems, but ESPN's problems are bigger Fantrax has their own set of stuff. They have, you know, better commissioner tools, but interface, whatever. It it all rolls together into just Yahoo's pre-ranks, I think, really probably most strongly determine 
ADPs for a lot of these players. So as I go through my list here, this is sort of independent of all of that stuff. And this is why what I'm about to say is important. Because I think as I say this stuff out loud, I'm, I'm even asking myself the same question that you guys are probably thinking in your minds, which is, what does it matter what public perception is of these guys? Well, it matters because if public perception of someone is way worse than where I have them on my board, I can actually safely move them down my board in terms of bucket, even if I think they're going to be at a better place at the end of the year. You almost need two lists. You need the, here's where I think everybody's going to finish list, and then you need the, here's the order I'm going to draft guys list based on where everybody else is going. As a really good example, for multiple seasons in a row now, I've had Tobias Harris about two rounds earlier than his ADP in my actual, my final rankings. I've had, uh, I'm trying to think of another good example of someone that went in that same area. I've had Tobias Harris ahead of Zach Levine for a number of seasons running now. And this year they were uh, much tighter to one another. So, you know, it's a good example of where something is not always the case. Uh, I've had him in front of Donovan Mitchell for stretches. Uh, I've had him in front of a lot of pretty prominent names. And the reason I bring this up is not to say, well, Tobias Harris has been a consistent win for us. He has generally been. It's to point out just because I have him in front of those guys doesn't necessarily mean that I'm drafting him in front of those guys. Follow me on this. Let's take two hypothetical, non-existent, like, creative players, for example. There's player A and player B. This, again, this, all of this, this explanation that we're getting into right now is, once again, to remind you guys of how this list can change as we get public perception data. We have player A, we have player B. Player A is sort of the more the Tobias type for this example. He's generally undervalued by the the fantasy community. He has a relatively boring fantasy game, but he's durable, and he always vastly overachieves his mark. Player B, in our list here, they're side by side. Remember, we talked about this, I think, uh, we, we took hypothetical like player 41 and 42 on an episode of last week's show. Player B here is going to finish basically in a dead heat with player A. On my list, I have them back-to-back, 40 and 41, or 41 and 42. It really really doesn't matter. But public perception, player B is being drafted way earlier than player A. In In this particular example, let's say player B, who we have finishing at 41... Player A finishes at 40 in this hypothetical example. Player B finishing right behind player A, but player B is being drafted right around 40 or 41. Player A is being drafted around 55. I think player A finishes just in front of player B. In fact, you can even make a bigger space in between them. You could say player A finishes at 38 and player B finishes at like 42. Make it much more clear that player A is your preferred choice. But... We once again run into this public perception question, which is, if I draft player B at pick 40 or something like that, there's no chance that player uh, A 
I've lost track of which is which, is actually going to come back around to me. Maybe that was player B. Player B is going to come back around to me. If I draft player B at 40, there's still a non-zero, call it 50-50 shot, that player A loops back around. So you're making this choice. This is the game theory stuff, and I like to build that into my lists. I think game theory should be built into your list. It's too hard to do that stuff on the fly on draft day. It's too hard to do that stuff on the fly on draft day. If you're... If you got a 60-second clock or 75-second clock and you're staring down the barrel of these two guys and you're like, oh, what I, you know, I got to pick 42, so I'm right in the middle of the fourth round. I, you know, I'm looking at 12, 13, 14 picks or whatever it is to get back to me. Which one am I doing here? Do I just take the guy I have higher on my board and I miss out on any chance of getting the, the other guy? You need to be prepared for that game theory element by creating a list with public perception built into it. So there should be two lists in this instance. Two lists. There's the one that everyone can see you're working from. Here's where I think everybody's going to finish this year, but it's up to individual players and individual leagues to make the game theory adjustments to that list. Like, it's important to me that... You know, list number one in this instance, which is the true final number list, that's the pride list. Not a group of lines. That's the pride list because that's the one you want everybody to see. Hey, here's where I had everybody ranked. Look how smart I am. List two, where you move bodies around, is the functional. That's the cash list. Hey, this is what I'm using on draft day in my league because I want the best chance to get the most possible highly ranked guys from list one, which does mean resorting them based on what order they're actually going to go in on draft day. You need to have that data. It's why you can't just make a top 150 of your own and exclusively work off of that. You'll miss out on everybody. I mean, this is for anything. This is the Brewski 150, if you wanted to talk about that as well. The, des- the best damn list in fantasy basketball every freaking year without fail. Our boss here at Hoopball puts out the best list, but you still have to apply game theory to it. If Brew has, crap, I don't know, think a couple of years back. If Brew has Rashawn Holmes at like 65 in final ranking, that doesn't mean you take him at 65. It means you see where he's going and you sort of, split the difference somehow. Hey, where do I have to take this guy to make sure I get him? But also, make sure he's a profit. P-R-O-F-I-T, not P-R-O-P-H-E-T. I don't know if Rashawn Holmes can see the future. So that's why you need two lists. That season, it had to be like, look, I think Rashawn, Bruce says Rashawn Holmes is going to finish at 65. Uh, he's getting drafted at 120. I'll take him at 95 because there's still profit there and it makes sure that I'm getting my guy. In our example we were talking about before, player A and player B, it's not quite so simple. There isn't really like a a split the difference point at which you can take player A because, look, you know, if he's a guy that's getting drafted near 50 and you have pick like, well, what were we saying before? Like pick 42? So you have 42, then the end of that round is 48. So then you have a pick at like 54, 55, something in that neck of the woods. He might get back to you, 
what, 30, 40% chance he gets back to you, you might have to take him a tiny bit before his ADP. But if you think he's finishing at 38, great. There's still a little bit of value there. So you need, this I think is, is lesson number one as we begin to talk about the Bespers Buckets. The Bespers Buckets is a set, is basically a list two List one is the beta, but it's also kind of the final pride list. And list two is the uh, the day of. That's what you're taking into your draft room. Or honestly, you're kind of taking both. You're taking both. This, I think, answers uh, a question that I've been asked many, many times that I'd sort of neglected to deep think until this week. To say, why do, I, why do I consistently tell people to simplify when it, like you could just take a list? You could just go into your draft room an hour before your draft starts and move all of the names around so that they reflect your list. And then, you know, it's a 200-player it's a queue. You've basically got set up and you could, leave. you could leave. You could just not be there. But And so the question then is, like, would that team win? No, probably not, because you've eliminated game theory of draft day. You've eliminated the strategy. You've done the hard work, but you still haven't given yourself the best probability of getting the largest number of winners on your team. Because the order that players are drafted, with or without you, in the room matters. So I'd like you guys to think about this as well, because I know many of you that listen to this podcast are hardcore about fantasy stuff, just the way I am. And really a lot of us here listening to the show are probably the same way. And certainly everybody at Hoopball is the same way, but I'm betting that you guys listening to this podcast probably also haven't stopped to think about why just having your own rank list is the most important thing. Not only do you need a final rank list, but you need the combination of that with ADP. Basically, I'm referring to ADP as public perception. The public feels this way, some whatever, about a particular player. I feel this way about same player. So what do I have to do to make sure I get that guy on my team? What do I have to do to make sure the area under my drafting curve is as large as possible. I want the biggest profit margin over the course of the entire draft. And taking them in the order that you have on your final rank list does not guarantee that. Crazy things happen on draft day. You know, guys fall way down the board that you had no intention of drafting. And suddenly you're like, oh, well, I guess I could go that direction. So you got to be able to make these moves on the fly. And the only way you can pull that off is to be adequately prepared with multiple lists. List one, the pride list. List two, the combo, pride and ADP built together into the cash money list. And then it's probably good to have, you know, Yahoo's pre-rank window open so you can remember where other people are going. What's actually going according to plan based on what you built into your stuff. So that's a big question. I know that took like 15 minutes of the podcast, but I, that's this is the type of fun stuff I like talking about in the offseason. This is draft theory. This is why we win drafts. It's why you attack particular ways. It's how you get the most 
again, that biggest profit under the curve. And think about profit not necessarily in like rounds jumped by a player, but think of it more in like player P value, basically. So if you can hit your mark in the first few rounds, that's actually still profit. You don't have to beat the mark. You have picked 10. You don't need to end up with the number eight player. You just need to end up with the number 10 player and not the like number 34 player because that sets you way under. That's a big, chunky, negative area under the curve. Get those easy ones early. Cash your tickets in the middle rounds and go nuts late because a miss is nothing. It's neutral because you're dropping them anyway. We'll do more draft theory as we get a little bit closer, but this I thought was important draft theory because we're now about to start talking about an actual honest-to-goodness list. So let's start talking about the list. We'll just work our way down the board, uh, and I'm not going to talk about the individual buckets yet, but I am going to talk about each player on this list uh, I mean, there's like 150 guys that I, I outlined, and I don't know that we're going to go individually one by one through all 150. Maybe we will, honestly. So you guys can kind of handicap. You guys will now work with me on this podcast on pretty much every single player that I thought had a chance to sniff full season nine cat uh, value. And this is not Roto or head to head. This is just nine cat. So things uh, like certain guys will certainly have more value on a total side or on a head-to-head side uh and we'll, we'll talk about that about each guy as we kind of push our way through the thing and as we're doing this and it's a little bit like what we hinted at when we were breaking the teams down one by one we'll we have to think you know how does this rank how does our own rank compare to where this guy likely gets put by the public and so then what are we likely going to be doing with them when it's time to slot them into buckets. So there's going to be a lot of arrow drawing. On today's show, I think I probably want to use about another 10 minutes on this stuff today because we have so many things to cover that... And this first part here was so damn dense that I like my own brain isn't that ready to go through a ton of players. But let's just let's start at the top. And you guys will have a good idea, I think, of how we're going to do this as we work our way through the board. So number one is Nikola Jokic. And there's probably not a ton that needs to be said on the Jokic front. He was number one last year by such an unbelievably wide margin that it feels kind of dumb to even discuss it. He played in all 72 games, so even if he's given uh, rest days on some Denver back-to-backs, you're still probably talking about a guy who is going to exceed the league average in total games played. He uh, played the most games of anyone on a a per-game basis, uh, meaning all 72. The next highest per-game player who played in all 72 games was Mikel Bridges in Phoenix which is pretty remarkable. I mean, there really were only a couple. Uh, Ennis Cantor in Portland, and I think those are the only three guys inside the top 100 that played in all 72 ball games. There's a handful that actually hit 70. Nikola Vucevic at 11 on a per-game basis. Chris Paul played in 70. Gobert, 71. Julius Randle, 71. This is important, by the way. Rob Covington, 70. 
Kelly Olynyk, 70. That's an interesting little footnote. 71, Buddy Heald, 71, Andrew Wiggins, 70, Brooke Lopez, and um, that's it. That's everybody that hits 70 or higher inside the top 100. So all you needed to know uh, is that with Jokic being the number one per-game guy and also one of the three most durable players basically in the entire NBA, he was going to run away with the trophy. And as we've said before, he was effectively a late first-round pick on top of the number two overall player, who was Steph Curry this last year. I bring this up because when you're handicapping Jokic as the number one overall pick, and and I'd be very surprised if he wasn't picked first in every nine-category league on the face of the earth, possibly every eight-category league as well, but it's not quite so set in stone. Still, I don't know who passes him, because Harden's like halfway down the first round. And Steph and Jokic are pretty darn close in turnovers anyway. Steph was uh, about 0.3 higher than Jokic. The question on Jokic is, okay, well, what if his team does give him six days of rest? What if his starting point this year is 76 maximum games instead of 82? Are there other guys, looking at it from a totals perspective, that could actually run him down? If you took six games away from Nikola Jokic this year, he's still far and away the number one player in fantasy. Because he's still now basically the third most durable player in the first round, fourth most durable player in the first two rounds, or round and a half, I guess, would be more fair. The other one being Vooch. Dame played in 67 games, by the way. He creeps into that discussion once we took six games off of Jokic. So he's still, I would think, your number one overall player, even with these sort of, quote-unquote, potential rest days built in. Like, his rest days are going to hinge on whether or not Denver's playing well. They'll give him a few, I bet, at the beginning of the season when they when the record doesn't really matter that much. But as the season goes on, if the Nuggets aren't, like, in the top five, they're going to probably have to chop his rest days because look Denver's not gonna be very good if Jokic doesn't play for a night he's their whole damn offense 18 shots a game on crazy efficiency eight assists 57 percent shooting you take his passing and his offensive ability out of that lineup I don't really know what the hell they're gonna do with no Jamal Murray sorry Aaron Gordon ain't cutting it Monte Morris ain't cutting it Will Barton ain't cutting it they're just not very good without Jokic on the floor. And they're pretty darn good when he is. That's why he was the MVP. Makes sense, doesn't it? Segwaying, this segues into the sort of final Jokic question, which is, on a show last week, I hinted that maybe Nikola Jokic is his own bucket. He may very well be a one-player bucket. However... When you go back to a per-game standpoint, the gap between Jokic and Steph Curry was significant, but not nearly as obscene as when you factored in the durability standpoint. In fact, over the entire season, the gap between Jokic at 1 and Steph at 2 was basically like the equivalent of an early fourth-round pick, which is still something, but not overwhelming the way you're talking about you know, Steph and another first-rounder to get to Jokic. And... If you just pare this season down to basically the second half, which is 36 of the 72 ballgames, Steph was better than Jokic on a per-game basis. Nikola was behind him the last three, eh, I guess this wasn't a six-month season, last two and a half months of this most recently completed season. 
one of the things we need to watch out for is which Steph and which Jokic come out this season. Clay Thompson coming back near Christmas and working his way into game shape will take something away from Steph, who took 23 shots a game over his last 36 games this year. He's not going to need to take 23 shots a night with Clay back in there instead of Kelly Oubre. Because Eli Oubre's last name was sort of the sound every Warriors fan made every time he took a shot. Oubre. It was not good. They're going to be much happier letting Clay take those shots. And so Steph just simply won't have to do as much. But that at that point, you're talking about from like mid-January to the end of the year. So you're almost halfway through the season already before that's actually a factor. On the Jokic side, he's without Jamal Murray for the entire season. So there's really no reason to think that his role shrinks in any meaningful way other than, and like I, I could make an argument that his role might even get bigger because Denver has so much to lose if they don't have a great first three or four months of this season and then they start to worry about the eighth place seeding games and things of that nature. They're better than that when Jokic is in there, which means they're going to need him in there. They're going to need him at full bore. All of that to say, we don't fully know yet. But I would, well, like, I don't know that much, much in the way of public perception is going to change things on Jokic or Steph Curry. Like, those guys are going to go inside the top three this coming year. The only question we're at right now is do they get their own buckets? And that's, I guess, doesn't really matter. Uh, whether there's any real argument for Steph to go in front of Jokic. And the answer is no. So let's just shorten this needlessly long discussion on the first player on our board and say, yeah, Nikola Jokic gets his own bucket. So when we start doing buckets, which is not today, Nikola Jokic is going to get his own. He's his own bucket. Pretty cool, huh? Bucket one. You know what? I'm going to write it down just because I said it on today's show, so it's kind of important that I keep track of those types of things. Um, bucket two might actually just be Steph by himself because he was outstanding the last two and a half months of this year, and he's going to probably come out outstanding next year. The two players that were actually closest to Steph Curry over this entire season and overall rankings on a per-game basis were Kyrie Irving, who played most of this season without Kevin Durant, and uh, Kawhi Leonard, who ain't playing this coming year. And in the second half of this season, the players that were closest to Steph on a per-game basis included Jimmy Butler, um, what have I done here? Messed something up. Uh, and still Nikola Jokic, and then Kyrie Irving down behind those guys as well. Assuming, for argument's sake, that the trio of Irving, Harden, and Durant actually all playing together is indeed going to impact those two guys, and Jimmy Butler getting Kyle Lowry in town, great as Jimmy was in the second half, and minimal though I think the impact may be on his usage, it's not going to be zero. It'll be small, but it's not going to be zero. So Steph now actually has an argument to basically be the consensus number two in nine category leagues, and I don't know that there's anybody out there that I could make a reasonable argument should go in front of him. So I think here on today's show, we've kind of argued our way into bucket one being Nikola Jokic and bucket two being just Steph Curry. Is Kyrie going to play enough games to get into that mix? No. Is Jimmy Butler going to play enough games to get into that mix? Also probably no. So what argument could we really make here 
that anyone else should be in the vicinity of Steph. And by the way, they weren't really this season. This seems pretty straightforward, and I guess it kind of is, but I do believe it it deserves being laid out before us here on a podcast because those two guys are all by themselves. The discussion points start now. What do we do with the next group of players, and how do they get slotted into buckets? I'll tell you guys, my number three player right now, by the way, the number three player at the end of this last season on a totals basis was Damian Lillard. 67 games, so pretty damn durable again. Um, I don't, I like, there's no reason in my mind that his game changes all that much. He will do a little bit less on the assumption that C.J. McCollum doesn't miss another 30 games this season. They've got Norman Powell for the full year, so like little things should be impacting Dame. But again, looking back at this last season, not that Dame was the number three player on a per-game basis. Again, that was Kyrie Irving. But a lot of these guys are primed to take hits. One of the players I think that was a little farther down the board that probably plays better this year is Carl Anthony Towns. So this is, again, kind of a situation where we're working through where these guys are, where they belong. Does Cat get the field goal percent back up over 50? Are there enough? Are there so many options in Minnesota now that he doesn't need to do as much? Is that going to push him down the board? Once you get to a point where you're kind of arguing with yourself, Cat, Dame, Harden, among others... Now you start to see we have multiple players in the same bucket. You need to be ready. If you have third overall pick, you basically need to be ready to tap into bucket three and make your choice based on those players. But also kind of in the back of your mind, realize, look, if I get any of these players out of my third bucket, terrific, because I value them basically the same. What's the difference going to be this coming season between Cat, Dame, and James Harden? Because those are kind of the guys, tentatively, that I have in bucket three. And why aren't guys like, say, Kevin Durant or Jason Tatum, why aren't those guys in bucket three? What about Vooch? He was number four last year. Chris Paul was number five. What about Kyrie? He was number six. Why aren't those guys in with Dame and Harden and Cat in our bucket situation why isn't it working that way well for one uh i think cat is much better this coming season like you take it he's basically to me he's dame but a big man not that their stats are the same but plays hard will play through small injuries especially now that his team seems like they're going to be trying to win a little bit so even if you're worried about cat not being the number five player on a per game basis I would venture to say that he probably beats the league average in durability this coming season, like Damian Lillard. Vooch is going to fall because now he's got all these other guys around him in Chicago. That's sort of an unquestioned thing. And then Harden, who you could make a very real argument, should be the top guy in that third bucket. He only doesn't get sort of his own bucket because now we're going to get to see what the Nets look like, all three guys together. But Harden, on a per-game basis, he was better than both Dame and Cat this last season. James was number 7, Dame was 10, Cat was 12. If we think Harden gets to 73, 74 games, 
He's probably your number three pick. But we don't know that that's necessarily going to be the case. If we think Dame gets back to like 76 out of 82 games, if we think Cat gets into that same ballpark, they probably end up with pretty damn similar value to Harden, who probably is more like 72, 73 games this coming year. So even if James is a little bit better on a per-game basis, Cat, Dame, those guys probably beat him by three or four games, and that rolls them all into bucket three. So that's kind of how we're going to get through the bucket analysis on all of this stuff. By the way, those three guys are the next three guys on my list. Right now, I actually have Cat in front of Damon Harden, for whatever the hell that's worth. Uh, I don't I don't know what's going to go on in Portland, if there's any potential shakeup there. I'm not. There's no real fear on the Dame front. I just think that, you know, if things break right for Cat, he has the better per-game upside between he, between himself and Dame. And then with Harden, he changed his game in a, in a dramatic way, but I also think his role is going to shrink somewhat with Durant back for probably the entire season. We just really didn't get to see all three of those guys together. And they're going to put up huge numbers, all three of them every night, because they weren't playing any defense, and I don't imagine they're going to play a ton of defense in the regular season this year either. So it's going to be a lot of scoring. Um, but he'll, he'll see that slight usage hit and they're going to be so careful with their guys because they flamed out this year, largely due to injury. Interestingly enough, KD was the one guy who kind of survived through the playoffs. So they'll keep Kyrie healthy. He's not going to play a ton of games. Harden, they're going to make sure he's healthy because he missed the important ones last year and KD, they'll be probably, they'll feel good about the way that they kid gloved him because he was the guy who stayed healthy. So James isn't playing all of his games. They'll be resting guys frequently because they have the star power to do it. Um, But he probably does have the best per game final mark between those three guys I just talked about in bucket three. And so uh, that's why he stays with them. Slightly fewer games, slightly higher upside. Maybe you make the argument he's your better pick in Roto this year with a games cap. You can squeeze out. What if he misses three more games than the other guys that we just talked about? Drop someone else in there. Still, you know, when I'm talking about my early guys, I, I don't want to be worried about something like that. And so maybe you then, in that case, if you have all three of those guys in your third bucket, just like I do, you start to think about, well, who's going to be near where I'm drafting in round two? If I have like fourth overall pick, do I go Dame or do I go Cat or something like that in the first round? And then coming back uh, towards the end of the second round, I've got pick, what, 21 in that instance? Who's floating around there? That's a spot where there's often a bunch of sort of loose centers <laughs> hanging around. I don't know if that's going to be the case this year. We'll, we'll learn more about that when we get to ADP stuff. As I look at my own list, the guys I have around 2021 are actually not centers at all. But that's my list. That is nothing. We Again, we haven't put public perception into the mix yet. So before we wrap things up on today's show, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to write down what we've put in bucket three so far. And all of this is subject to change as we learn what order guys are going in. Like, And it's probably not going to change all that much here in the first round, or especially not early in the first round. But what if we find out ADPs come out from Yahoo at the very beginning, which are all the diehards, by the way. The first ADPs are the people drafting seven, eight weeks before the season starts, so you haven't had all of the public perception baked in yet. But what if we find out that Dame is going at eight or nine again? I don't think that's going to be the case. But let's say hypothetically we find out Dame is getting drafted near eight. 
you might even consider putting him at the top of bucket four. I don't think he would. Oh, that's a terrible example. I'll tell you why that's a terrible example, because none of these guys are actually going to get back to you in round two. And the reason to move someone from a higher bucket to a lower bucket, or vice versa, is because of the strategy element, the game theory element, when a guy might or might not get back to you. I mean, if you're drafting at five, and Dame is going to go at eight, Dame's obviously not going to be back to you at pick 20. So it's kind of a bad example, but I think you guys catch my meaning. Once we find out where these guys are going, we can move them from bucket to bucket, Although the first round in particular, the buckets are pretty well locked in stone once we make them, regardless of public opinion. Because ain't none of these guys getting back to you. Eh. I mean, it's, you know, if you have like pick 10, someone might get back to you. Then you have to think a little bit about it. But certainly not here in the top five that we talked about today. So let's put a pin in that. We're um, a shade under 40 minutes into the podcast, and that's about as far as I wanted to get today. Breaking down why you need the multiple lists, breaking down how the buckets differ from the actual end-of-season rank list, how to use public perception to create that secondary, you know, day of, this is where the money's made kind of list. And then also, now you're starting to see the way I look at players and the way we start to slot them in. This was Fantasy NBA Today. A hoop ball presentation. Get yourself an account over at mybookie.ag and get your 22 free dollars. It is not promo bucks. You make your first deposit and you put it on this guaranteed winner. And then after that, you can do whatever the hell you want. Take your money out. I don't care. Take your $22 of profit. Go get yourself a sandwich, a hoop ball membership, whatever. But please don't leave $22 on the table. Come on. Come on. And if you need help, hit me up because you got to use promo code HOOPBALL when you're signing up for a new account. H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L. No hyphen in that sign-up code. Some people have been putting the hyphen and then they don't know who sent you. H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L. The third page of mybookie.ag sign-up. You can deposit using Bitcoin or credit card. Bet on that odds boost. It's 25 bucks to win about 22 and change. It cannot lose. And we can all go home. 22 and change dollars richer after the first game of the NFL season coming up on September the 9th. Back tomorrow, we will pick up at player number six on the Dan board, and we'll continue to drop players into buckets, early buckets. They will be changed here on Fantasy NBA Today. Thank you to my son for that final marker. I'm Dan Bespris. We'll talk to you tomorrow. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.